Welcome to this God-inspired message from Shofar Christian Church. Enjoy today's message. May you experience the presence of our Father and may you grow deeper in your relationship with Him. Okay, so I'm going to be telling us a story um, um, so pinch your buddy next to you and you see he's starting to doze off. It might be my preaching. <laughs> um, and let's just all stay present. Yeah. Um, it's a very interesting story, so I, I think you won't struggle to stay awake. Um, we're going to 1 Samuel chapter 15. And this is a story of Saul. Saul, the first king um, elected by God as the first king over Israel. The first king to ever be appointed over Israel forever. There will never be another first king in Israel. And Saul, this is a story of Saul being elected. And where we are is more or less um, quite a time after the Israelites have left Egypt. And they, the, God is being gracious and showing them favor um, to drive out the nations before them that are unholy. And... And so God gives them amazing favor. Wherever they go, um, their army defeats people, defeats the, the nations which um, inhabit this land, the land which God has given them as a promise. And so that is where we are. If we can go to um, from verse 1. Okay, so, and Samuel said to Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint you king over his people Israel, now, therefore, listen to the words of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I have noted what Amalek did to Israel in opposing them on the way when they came up out of Egypt. Now go and strike Amalek and devote to destruction all that they have. Do not spare them, but kill both man and woman, child and infant, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. So quite a harsh instruction from God, but... I want to give you a little bit of background. Um, the, the Amalekites were involved in a war against Israel, one of the first wars after Israel came out of, of Egypt. And what happened was they cut off the Israelites from the rear, and there were stragglers in their army, and they were um, fighting against Israel and prevailing. And God calls Moses up onto the mount, and as long as Moses is praying his arms in the air, the Israelites are prevailing against them. And whenever he got tired and his arms fell down, they would again prevail against Israel. And um, the story goes that, um, that Moses somehow managed to keep his arms up, resting them on a stone up there on the mountain. And the Israelites um, defeated them that day. And God never forgot that. So here we are quite a few years later, and God executes this, this command through Saul. Um, and he says in verse 2, I have noted what Amalek did to Israel in opposing them on the way when they came up out of, out of Egypt. So this is not just any war. This is not just any battle. And that's just what I wanted to illustrate. Okay, so from verse 4. So Saul summoned the people and numbered them in Telaim. 200,000 men on foot and 10,000 men of Judah. And Saul came to the city of Amalek and lay in wait in the valley. 
Then Saul said to the Kenites, Go, depart, go down from among the Amalekites, lest I destroy you with them. For you showed kindness to all the people of Israel when they came up out of Egypt. So the Kenites departed from among them. So God actually spares another nation and instructs them to get out of the way. From verse 7, Saul defeated the Amalekites from Havilah as far as Shur, which is east of Egypt. And he took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive and devoted to destruction all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep and the oxen and of the fattened calves and the lambs and all that was good and would not utterly destroy them. All that was despised and worthless they devoted to destruction. The word of the Lord came to Samuel. I regret that I have made Saul king, for he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. And Samuel was angry and he cried to the Lord all night. So we see a description of basically Saul's disobedience to God, not complete obedience, and, and God's reaction. Um, and Samuel, it says Samuel was angry. Samuel had such an amazing heart. He being the prophet in that time, it was his mantle to pray to, for the king. It was his mantle to pray for Saul. And so he was very angry that God wanted to turn his face from Saul. And, and he prayed that whole night. He was interceding for King Saul. And he really was grieved. And he really desired this situation to somehow be turned around. And in verse 12 we read, And Samuel rose early to meet Saul in the morning. And it was told Samuel, Saul came to Carmel. And behold, he set up a monument. So firstly, Samuel rises with the intention to go and meet Saul, and he realizes Saul is gone. Saul is not there. And he hears from someone else um, that Saul came to Carmel, and behold, he has set up a monument for himself, and turned and passed on and went down to Gilgal. Okay. Verse 13, And Samuel came to Saul. So when he eventually found Saul, and Saul said to him, Blessed be you to the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. So we can see Saul's reaction, very much a, a guilt-ridden reaction. Um, and Samuel said, What then is this bleating of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen that I hear? Saul said, They have brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God. And the rest we have devoted to destruction. And then Samuel said to Saul, Stop, I will tell you what the Lord said to me this night. And he said to him, Saul said to him, Speak. And Samuel said, Though you are little in your own eyes, are you not the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel. And the Lord sent you on a mission and said, Go, devote to destruction the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you pounce on the spoil and do what was evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said to Samuel, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. I have gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me. I have brought Agag, the king of Amalek, and I have devoted the Amalekites to destruction. But the people took of the spoil, sheep and oxen, the best of the things devoted to destruction, to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. So very much still defending and trying to justify what he has done. 
We read on, and Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices, as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to listen than the fat of rams. For rebellion is the sin of divination. Is as the sin of divination, that, that Hebrew word, by the way, is actually a little bit softer than the, the true translation is, is. So rebellion is the sin of divination, and presumption is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. And Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned. So here we see the first time Saul admitting that he has sinned in verse 24. Um, and he says, For I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Now therefore, please pardon my sin and return with me that I may bow before the Lord. And Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with you, for you have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. Okay. As Samuel turned to go away, Saul seized the skirt of his robe and it tore. And Samuel said to him, The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you this day and has given it to a neighbor of yours who is better than you. And also the glory of Israel will not lie or have regret. The glory of Israel here is God himself. Just another description of God. So it says, And also the glory of Israel will not lie or have regret, for he is not a man that he should have regret. Then he said, I have sinned, yet honor me now before the elders of my people and before Israel, and return with me that I may bow before the Lord your God. So Samuel turned back after Saul, and Saul bowed before the Lord. Then Samuel said, Bring here to me Agag, the king of the Amalekites. And Agag came to him cheerfully. Agag said, Surely the bitterness of death is past. And Samuel said, As your sword has made woman childless, so shall your mother be childless among women. And Samuel hacked Agag to pieces before the Lord in Gilgal. Then Samuel went to Ramah, and Saul went up to his house in Gabeah of Saul. And Samuel did not see Saul again until the day of his death. But Samuel grieved over Saul, and the Lord regretted that he had made Saul king over Israel. And I just want to carry on into chapter 16 and just show you um, where the story goes. Um, in, in chapter 16, we, we then read, The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul, since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse, the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. And we all know, most of us will know that um, that then is David, the new king that the Lord had made provision for to lead his people. So yeah, I know it's a very long scripture. Um, we're going to go through it piece by piece. And what I would like to do is, is discuss two aspects. Um, the first one, well, let me start with a conclusion. I think you would all agree with me from reading this text that um, it's quite clear that God delights in obedience and he dislikes, he's displeased with disobedience. Um, so we're going to discuss the first point is, is why. Why does God delight in obedience and why is he displeased with disobedience? And the second thing we'll discuss is, is this good news? Is it good news that God delights in obedience? Okay, so... The first point, we will discuss um, five points. And the first one, which I'd like to go in into this evening, is it is a misplacement of fear 
This is the first reason why God dislikes disobedience. Um, if we read verse 24, Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Sure. And the long and the short of it really uh, is that Saul obeyed the people. Go to the next slide. Um, Saul obeyed the people and not God because he feared the people and not God. And to take it maybe one step further, just to, just to think about that for a moment. Um, to fear the natural consequence of obeying God, the natural consequence of obeying God, over the divine consequence of obeying man. That's, that's a definition of insanity. I mean, if we have God on this side and we have people on this side, who would you want to please? Would you want to please man that can only destroy and then uh, destroy the flesh and then has no power over you? Or would you like to displease God, divine creator of the universe? Um, so, clearly Saul had, in a, in a sense, lost his mind. And how often do we not lose our mind? How often do we not find our, ourselves in a place where we can't understand why we would choose, not choose God? Um, the second reason why God disapproves of disobedience is because it is a misplacement of pleasure we see in this text that Saul did his best to convince Samuel that it was a good intent to spare the best of the livestock. But Samuel is a prophet and he sees straight through this argument. Um, something I want to just maybe draw our attention to is, you know, yeah, let's, let's read the next scripture maybe. Let's read verse 19 then I can explain. So, Verse 19 says, Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you pounce on the spoil and do what was evil in the sight of the Lord? So we see this, this word pounce, um, which describes an uncontrolled act of um, taking something. Um, pouncing on is it's a, it's a reaction. Um, this word is only used twice more in, in the Old Testament, and one of those places we read on is then in 1 Samuel 14 verse 32 which reads um, just next slide please um, which reads the people pounced on the spoil and took sheep and oxen and calves and slaughtered them on the ground and the people ate them with the blood the word pounce describes the heart with which this was done um, so in chapter 14 um, again the Israelites had conquered the Philistines um, and, and this played out. The people pounced on the spoil and they, they ate the, the meat with blood in it, which was against the, the law of the Lord in that time. Um, so I'm just using that to illustrate the fact that, you know, they were not meticulously separating the best of the livestock to be sacrificed to God in Gilgal. Um, this was a, 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 a rash act, an act from the desire of the heart. Um, they desired the meat. They wanted to eat the meat instead of leaving it to waste as God had commanded. And it sounds 
totally crazy to leave all these or to kill all these amazing animals and just waste them. But that is what God had commanded. They desired the pleasure of eating the meat and not the pleasure of the smile of God. Even if we argue that they wanted to sacrifice and honor God with, with these animals, the sacrificer in the old times were the people that consumed the sacrifice. So they would, they would sacrifice the meat to God and then they would take portions from the sacrifice. And so even the, the, their heart's desire and that was even flawed in a sense that they wanted to sacrifice this meat, but they actually just didn't want to waste these animals. Okay. So we see here that it's, you know, it, it sounds very legalistic, but that's really not my heart. Um, what we see here is a misplacement of pleasure from the fellowship of God to a bowl of worldliness. Um, misplacement of of pleasure from the fellowship of God. Just like Esau, just like Judas in the New Testament, just like you and I. Every time we, we disobey God, choosing some other pleasure over the pleasure of fellowship with Him in obedience. The third point why God so strongly dislikes disobedience is because it's a misplacement of praise. You can go to the next slide. Yeah. So we see that the first thing Saul does after the victory over the Amalekites, if we go to verse 12, and Saul and Samuel rose early to meet Saul in the morning, and it was told Samuel, Saul came to Carmel, and behold, he set up a monument for himself, and turned and passed on and went down to Gilgal. So, so Samuel is greatly grieved when he, when he hears this, um, and I'd like to, to just read the encounter that Samuel had with Saul. We go to verse 17 and 18. And Samuel said, Though you are little in your own eyes, are you not the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel. And the Lord sent you on a mission and said, Go, devote to destruction the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. So let's follow, let's follow Samuel's reasoning. Um, Saul if you have a lust for glory open your eyes God gave you more glory than one can imagine God made you the first king over his people Israel you a man of the tribe of Benjamin the least of the tribes of Israel your father from a family the least in the tribe of Benjamin. And God makes you king over Israel, the first king over his people. Did you have to go and make a monument for yourself? Isn't the picture, the, the pleasure, the, the praise of God enough? Isn't the praise of God enough, erecting you to king? Isn't the erection of your lowly self into the role of king over Israel enough? Did you have to go and disobey to earn the praise of man and erect a monument for yourself? And oh, how God reasons with you and me this way, this morning. 
So often we care so much about what the world says and we care for the applause of man when Christ has elevated us and stamped on our papers, Prince of Heaven, Princess of Heaven, Son and Daughter of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. That's who we are. We've been elevated to kingship with Christ. And it's a grave insult to God when we try to add glory to His glory. The next reason why God greatly is displeased with disobedience is that we take from the sticks. Disobedience is divination. So divination is maybe a strange word that we haven't heard yet. Um, Verse 23 says, For rebellion is as the sin of divination, and presumption is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. So it says clearly, For rebellion is as the sin of divination. Um, We also read in Deuteronomy 18 um, from verse 10, There shall not be found among you anyone who burns his son or his daughter as an offering, anyone who practices divination or tells fortunes or interprets omens or a sorcerer or a charmer or a medium or a necromancer or one who inquires of the dead. For whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord. And because of these abominations, the Lord, your God, is driving them out before you. So... What is divination? The best way I could put it um, for this sermon was to say that turning away from the counsel of God to consult another source for how you should live, what you should do, or how you should go in life, like consulting a sorcerer, a palm reader, or a witch doctor. But I mean, none of us would do that. What about our own minds, our own wisdom? Consulting our own wisdom over the wisdom of God, which is already spoken to us in his word. We have the truth of the word, and yet we find ways to to reason ourselves out of just following plainly his word. And so my heart's not to condemn you with this tonight, um, but just for us to be um, aware of the deceitfulness of our own hearts. Um, and the grave injustices which happen in heaven, which we don't always have a taste and a feel for, those injustices committed in heaven when we do these things. Um, The last point then is disobedience is idolatry, and that's why God greatly greatly disapproves of this. Um, So having disobeyed the word of the Lord, we... We then enthrone ourselves, our own opinion, our own, um, our own way, and we bow to ourselves. So we become the idol to which we bow. Um, when we know what we should do, um, and we choose our own way. So disobedience dethrones God and enthrones the self. So, in summary, God is displeased with disobedience because it puts fear of man in the place of fear of God. It elevates the pleasure in things above pleasure in God. 
It seeks a name for itself instead of a name for God. It consults the wisdom of self dissatisfied with the wisdom of God. It sets more value on the desires of self than on the will of God. Okay. So, just to share my heart, um, the idea really is, is not to um, condemn you with this message, but to free you um, this evening. Um, and that's why I want to end with a bit of a different focus, so bear with me. We've now discussed why God is so gravely displeased with disobedience. And now we're going to just shift our focus a bit and let's look at disobedience and let's, let's go through six reasons why it's extremely good news that God delights in obedience. Okay, but just hold on. Okay, we're we on our way somewhere. Okay, so one of the first reasons why God, why it's extremely good news is that it means that He's praiseworthy and reliable. It means that He is praiseworthy and reliable. If God did not disapprove of disobedience, He would be two-faced, double-tongued, schizophrenic. Exalting His glory over here and ignoring acts that compromise His glory over there. And He's no longer admirable. And if God's no longer admirable, then my pleasure is gone. And that's not good news. So we serve an amazing God. Um, the second reason why it's extremely good news is it guarantees that one day the glory of God, the glory of the Lord, will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. And this is our hope. This is our hope that, that one day... The glory of the Lord will cover the earth. Um, if God is neutral towards disobedience, then my hope, that hope of mine is gone. And that's not good news. Okay, the third reason why this is such good news is that it shows that grace is a power and not merely a tolerance of evil. It shows that grace the grace of God is a power and not merely a tolerance of evil. What do I mean when I say that? His grace is sanctifying and purifying me by His power. Without this, I have no hope of being ultimately and fully purified one day with Him in heaven. I have no hope of one day with unveiled face beholding the beauty of the Lord when I meet Him, if God approves of or is neutral towards disobedience. The fourth reason why this is such good news is because none of His commands is too hard for me. None of His commands is too hard for us. We can go to Deuteronomy 30 from 11 to 14. It reads, For this commandment that I command you today is not too hard for you, neither is it far off. It is not in heaven that you should say, who will ascend to heaven for us and bring it to us, that we may hear it and do it? Neither is it beyond the sea that you should say, Who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us, that we may hear it and do it? But the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart, so that you can do it. 
So every one of us can, can walk in the commandments of God. 1 John 5 verse 3 reads, For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. This is really true. Um, Matthew eleven twenty eight thirty 30 reads, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So, really, um, the truth is that God's commands are good for us. Um, it's like saying, another way of saying that God delights in my obedience is saying God delights in my happiness. Um, what an amazing God that He would so design things that in my being obedient to Him, He's glorified and I'm satisfied. Um, he gives us a hope and a calling that is so constructed that when we obey, we receive the fullness of a life that is the best thing for us that one could ever imagine. And in, in that act, God is glorified. Um, and that's good news. It means we can pursue God, giving Him glory and being satisfied in a way that nothing can compare to. Um, and so the pursuit of happiness is the pursuit of obedience to God. Okay. Um, the last point then is point number, are we on point five? Have I gone ahead? Okay, so point four was um, none of these commands are too hard for me to follow. Right. Um, point five then is, I've already actually elaborated um, on that as well, um, is that everything he commands me to do is for my good. Um, so there's a scripture on that which you can go and read. Um, it just ends off in verse 13 and says, and to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord which I am commanding you today for your good. So it just... It just helps us to remember because the, the world teaches us to think about obedience in a negative way. The world teaches us to think that it's something we're giving up or it's a bunch of rules that we are following. Um, but we cannot be obedient. The only way to be obedient to Christ is Christ. The only way to be obedient to God is, is God. It's in relationship to Him, in desiring to be near to Him. Um, and we've been preaching so much on the presence of God, um, this is really one of the cornerstones of, of being in, in God's presence. Um, so the really good news, the last point there, point six, is that because it's really good news because the obedience in which he delights, the obedience in which God delights, is the obedience of faith. Okay. So what does that mean? Um, Faith is the placing of our hope on the mercy of God. And mercy means that our obedience doesn't have to be perfect. It needs only to be repentant. And so God says, wow, my desire for my people is to be obedient to me. 
but I will send my son, Jesus Christ, to be their faith. I will send my son as a sacrifice of mercy. The only way in which we can hope of living in obedience to God. And 1 John 1 verse 9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we see that obedience to God um, is really um, laced with confession, repentance, and here's the good news, forgiveness. God is not sitting up there watching us that the moment we disobey or the moment we get it wrong, he's correcting us. Um, God has already paid the price, Jesus Christ. We have already been justified. We are already princes and princesses of Christ. And we get the amazing opportunity to choose him, to delight in him, to walk in obedience to him and experience the satisfaction of being near to God, to being in his presence. Um, in closing, I'd like to say, in the same way that one would delight in a mountain spring, by drinking deeply of the crystal clear, refreshing water, in the same way we delight in God by tasting and seeing that he is good. In the same way that one delights in a mountain spring, by drinking deeply of the crystal clear, refreshing water, that's the best way to honor a mountain spring, is to say, wow, this water tastes good. Ek gaan nou hier indyk. Ons gaan van die kraans afspring tot binnen in hy, die weer die waterval. Dis die best, beste manier om, om Godse natuur te eer, is om het te geniet. In the same way, we delight in God by tasting and seeing that He is good. By tasting God. By testing Him, not testing Him in a negative way, but, but walking with Him. Trusting in Him, maybe that's the better way to, to say it. Trusting God. And the only way to taste and see that God is good, however, is through obedience. And thus obedience is not following a set of rules. It's, it's a response to having tasted that He is good and coming to the conclusion that there is nothing better than being near to Him. Having a desire to just be nearer to God. That hunger, we so often have that hunger. I trust that you have that hunger today to just be nearer to God, um, to enjoy Him more. So just a few things maybe to, to think about this week is obedience to proclaim the gospel. That's the first and foremost thing. God has, has mercifully showed us salvation. Um, and Jesus is the only way. He's the way, um, and it would be obedient for us to proclaim this good news. Um, obedience to his word, all that Jesus has spoken to us in the New Testament. Um, when we speak of obedience and we speak of the law, we so often go to the Old Testament and we get stuck in the Old Testament. But if we read the words of Jesus in the New King James, they'll be read. If you read those words and ponder on the commandments of Jesus, the Great Commission says, go out and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded. So that is, that is why the, 
not the only reason why, but that's one of the reasons, that one of the privileges we have um, after receiving salvation is to be a part of God's plan, to be a part of um, His kingdom which is coming. His kingdom is coming, guys. There's nothing that will stop His kingdom from coming. He's almighty and He's in control and He will come again. He is coming again. Obedience to engage your own sanctification and disengage the self. So if you're wondering what you can do right now, um, the stuff might all seem quite daunting to you, but in a very simple way, just by choosing His way and not your own, in your own life, where you are at home, those choices that come across your path, um, when you hear the voice of God leading you in a certain direction to honor His instruction over your own will, is the way in which we are sanctified. Obedience to the call, God's call on your life. So all of us have an amazing call of God, which God has placed on our life. Um, and at any point we in our lives, we can be tempted to let go of that heavenly vision. You know, Paul said, I, have a, I, I, did, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but I, I went to Damascus. I did not go back to people to hear what people think. Or I did not first go to the disciples and um, seek their counsel to protect me. Um, it says I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. I went to Damascus and I think he was there for three years or so where God was working with him. And, and so each of us has a, a spoken word of God in your life. Uh, you know God wants to use you a certain way. You know he wants to do a certain thing with your life. Um, and to be obedient to that is to find happiness. God will not let us down. He is not a man that he should lie. Um, so yes um, I think to close then I'd like us all to stand I'm just going to pray for us quickly Lord we thank you, Father, um, for your goodness. We thank you for your faithfulness, Lord. We thank you that for the reality that we have been elevated. We are seated in Christ. Um, we have been made new. Um, we have been raised from the dead. Our spirit that was dead is now alive. We have been born again. Father, we just quiet ourselves, Lord. Thank you for no condemnation in this place, in the name of Jesus. Lord, we are not here to speak about obedience and feel condemned. Lord, we are here to behold the beauty of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you, Father, for your cross. We thank you for taking us from darkness into light, from death into life from nothing having no eternal future no eternal hope into a hope and a calling which is as firm as Christ is firm Lord we lift our eyes to you and we just ponder this for a moment Lord, that you would have mercy on us that you would have mercy on us sinners Lord, 
you have done everything, Lord, so that we can have a life that is so different to the life we would have had in sin without Christ. Lord, we thank you for your forgiveness, Father. We thank you for your blood that washes us clean every day. Every day when our feet get dirty, you say we can repent. You say we can bring it into the light with our brothers, our Christian brothers. We can go to them, bring it into the light, and you wash our feet clean. You wash us clean again, Lord. There's no failure with you. There's no failing with our God. And we just honor you, Lord, this evening as our Savior, our Redeemer.